0: I grew up in a small town, the foothills of the hill country of Judea, and I remember when I was about 12 years old, my great-aunt Elizabeth was something like 700 years old, and she was going to have a baby. It was so crazy, but the crazier part was that my great-uncle Zachariah was visited by an angel in the temple who told him that he was going to have a baby in his old age. (laughs) Crazier than that, he didn't believe the angel. (laughs) Who sees an angel every day, right? So immediately, he went mute. He couldn't talk. And when the baby was born, everyone in the town came, neighbors, relatives. We wanted to see this miracle. But because great uncle Zachariah Hadn't been talking for nine months, my dad and all the uncles, they all went to go say, hey, his name's going to be Zachariah. The baby's name's going to be Zachariah because they ain't going to have any other babies. So when the baby came to be named, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be Zachariah. But then my great aunt Elizabeth spoke up to all the men and said, no, his name's going to be John. Everyone looks at Zachariah. is like, get me a tablet, is pretty much what he said. So he gets this tablet, and he starts writing something. And he says, his name is John. And then suddenly he could start speaking. And he's not just speaking, he's singing. And he's singing this song, and I don't remember all the words, but I mean, I just remember that last part. A guide to the way of peace. Peace is the only thing I remembered because peace is what I wanted the most. I mean, you guys know, I mean, Israel was under Roman military occupation. The rich oppressed the poor. The rich got richer. The poor got poorer. There was corrupt politicians and officers. There was violence. There was hate groups. Everything was so political. Everything was so polarized. But you guys know nothing about that. <laughs> For us, in the rural hill country, I was just trying to make ends meet. We are in the middle of a recession. The news of what was happening in our nation's capital, man, it impacted our daily lives. A guide to the way of peace. I grew up in a Jewish home. I knew what peace was. In my language, peace was a greeting. Shalom! We would say, but shalom had many more meanings. Shalom didn't mean that there was just this absence of hostility. Shalom meant that we were actively, actively working for one another's benefit. Baby John would be the way of shalom. And that kind of stuck with me. Everybody was wondering, what is this child going to be? I was just wondering what I was going to be. I mean, man, I was like... 12. I, I was almost a grown man. I was going to be 13. I needed to decide, what should I do? What am I going to be? And hey man, there wasn't a lot of options. It was either you were for something or you were against something. There was no in-between. You were either for the Roman Republic or you were against it by being with the Revolution Resistance. Either way, it puts you in a category and it labeled you. If I'm for the republic, then I'm a sellout. I'm, I'm a traitor. People are gonna think I'm greedy and selfish, that I'm cold-hearted, that I don't care about the poor. If I'm against the republic and for the revolution, then I'm a rebellious outcast, I'm, a, I'm an anarchist. Being with one meant that I had to be against the other. And the only way to be victorious was to overthrow one or to throw the other out. That was the way to peace. Now, I didn't know what I should do. Which side was I going to choose? I had this one cousin who joined the revolution. Oh, my gosh. He was always talking about oppression and injustice. He was always angry about something. He rolled with the revolutionaries. And I didn't want to be associated with those low lowlifes. They were just a bunch of freeloaders. I worked hard, and I, I didn't want to be poor, and I definitely didn't want to be marginalized. So my cousin and I, my other cousin, we, we had a lot of cousins, we decided we would go to the big city of Jerusalem. We would go and, and look for jobs. Now, I wasn't like a ride-or-die hardcore King Herod fan, but the reality was, Republic or revolution? I only had two choices. And the republic was really ruthless to the revolution. It meant you would either go to jail or, or die. So my other cousin, he decided to, to join the Roman army. He was gonna become a law enforcement or a Roman soldier. And, and I was decent with math, kind of, um, but I got a job collecting taxes. Y'all, there was major, major benefits for working for the government. So Caesar Augustus had this whole tax reform, and he, he built this like, idea of this like census, and you would go around and count all the people so you would know how many people to tax so that they eventually could buy up the land. And get this, they would give the land to the retirement of the Roman soldiers. I mean, my cousin and I, we were totally hooked up. Working for the government was awesome. About 30 years go by. We did a lot. We saw a lot. And one year, we're at our annual family Passover dinner. Current events were pretty heated. Made dinner a little awkward and tense. You guys wouldn't know what any of this is about. I was a Roman. He was a Roman soldier. I was a tax collector. We were going home to our religious family. I knew what they thought about me. I was a sellout. I knew someone was going to start talking about politics and religion. I just dreaded going home. This year, we found out that our Israeli family land that we've had for years was going to be sold to the Roman government because we couldn't afford the high the high property taxes. My activist cousin, he was arrested. He was in jail, he was waiting for his execution. My Pharisee uncle begins to ramble and say stuff, political and religious, and my Roman soldier brother starts getting really defensive and starts arguing with him. He's like, those law-breaking protesters, And then all of a sudden, my uncle stands up and he looks at my cousin and he kind of looks at me and he says, you're both traitors, traitors to our people, traitors to God. Now, this wasn't something i ever never heard before. I mean, I was a tax collector. I was probably one of the most hated people, not just by the Jews, by the non-Jews too. And he was Right. My cousin had accused innocent people. He targeted vulnerable people groups. My supervisors actually told me to add a surcharge when I would meet people to make my expenses work. I, I kind of took more than I, I should. I pocketed some and, and I gave some to the publicans, you know, the wealthy Romans. I, I wasn't just a traitor. I was a thief. Having a comfortable life was, was nice, but, but deep down I never really had peace about what I did. And then all of a sudden someone busts into the house. And they're like, guys, hurry up. Come on, come on. You're never going to believe what's happening. The word of the Lord has come to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he's preaching to this huge crowd. Come on, everyone, everyone's got to come. A guide to the way of peace. The word of the Lord in, in the wilderness? Not in the, the city, in the capital, or not in the hills? Away from the republic? Away from the revolution? Away? A way? Could this be another way? I grabbed my cousin and we ran. We ran to the wilderness. And we got near the Jordan River. There was John. And man, it was wild. The crowd was wild. John was wild. He was always a little strange. But he was shaggy and dirty and he had camel fur camel fur. He was, he was peaceful, he was clear, he had a strength, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think I've ever seen that or said that ever in my life, but you knew it if you saw it. But what was even crazier and more astounding was, y'all, there was huge mobs of people, people who hated each other. People who were revolution and republic, all together listening and longing for the word of God. There were some of the most religious people, like like my uncle, the Pharisee, who was there, and, and the most sinful people, like me, a tax collector. There were people with the most power, like the Roman soldiers, and there were people with the least power, like the widow and the foreigner and the orphan. And it just didn't make sense. It was wild. Man, you were either for something or you were against something. Republic or revolution. And if John was for the poor, wouldn't he be against their oppressors, like me? And if you were for the Pharisees, wouldn't you be against their enemies? Me. Me. And I began to get haunted again. A guide to the path of peace. What was John going to say? He looks at the Pharisees and he says, You brood of vipers. How did you know God's wrath is coming? I mean, honestly, I'm like, He just called them children of snakes. (laughs) I'm like, give it to the men. But then he said something that struck me, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, I was a tax collector, usually to farmers, so I mean, I was around a lot of that. I knew what fruit meant. It meant that it was this thing that comes out and is produced after the harvest, after the work and the toil. It's the thing that comes out of you to feed others that you give to nourish the fruit of repentance, the the appropriate response to repentance was to bear fruit. And the Pharisees didn't say anything, but all of a sudden the crowd starts shouting, What should we do? What should we do? John, tell us, what should we do? And John says to the crowd, If you got two shirts and someone's got none, Give them one. Do the same thing with food. And the Roman soldiers begin to shout, What should we do? What should we do? Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, I thought the way to peace was about overthrowing or throwing out Republic Revolution. I mean, handing out shirts? Not accusing people falsely? I kind of squeezed my way through the crowd. John and I we locked eyes. He recognized me. And and I spoke to him. I, I honored him. I called him teacher. What should I what should we do? And he looked at me with clearness and compassion and he said, Don't collect more than what you're required to. My heart was pierced. John didn't ostracize me like the rest of my family did. He came close to me. He spoke truth to me like a close friend would. I wanted to give back everything I stole. I wanted to apologize to everyone I treated terribly. I began to repent, and town by town, and person by person, and faces and faces. And as the tears fell, so did my shame. I began to feel peace. A guide to the way of peace. The way of peace was totally not what I thought it was. It wasn't about choosing a side that you were going to fight on or against. It wasn't about winning the family debate about politics. It wasn't just even passively and politely just sweeping things under the rug. I mean, peace included coming close to people, maybe even that you disagreed with, people you loved and maybe even naming what the injustice and sin was, like John was, but he also was inviting them to produce fruit and continuously keeping with repentance. Peace was producing fruit in the way that I treated people. People below me, people above me, people next to me, people who who I called a lowlife and people who called me a traitor and thief. It was giving a shirt and food and not falsely accusing people, not taking more than what was required for my gain and their loss. This was shalom. It wasn't just about not fighting anymore. It was actively working for the benefit of others, even my enemies. I was still going to be in Herod's system, but I was going to do it by producing fruit and keeping with repentance. John didn't attack me. He didn't tell me not to be a tax collector. He told me to not take advantage of my authority. He didn't tell my cousin to not be a Roman soldier. He said, don't abuse your power. The fruit of my repentance was to have a fair business practices, to be fair to my neighbors, even my enemies. Living for God meant that I had to live my life differently. And this was shalom for me for me, for all of us, for our whole community. God was doing something new. And the new way of peace wasn't about for or against. The new way of peace was all about with. Who I was with and who was with me. Emmanuel, God with us. And this was my way to
1: peace. I'm going to welcome up uh, Pastor Brian Boren uh, to share a personal story of peace. So I had to pull over at least twice on my way to worship practice. This particular morning, I didn't know if I was going to make it to church. So I pulled over the car, tried to recline the seat, and I tried to make myself cry. So that had helped the last time that I had these thoughts and these feelings. Panic attacks, if you haven't had them, are something that's really difficult to describe. But I try to describe it like, oh, maybe a hundred of your deepest fears all the way back to the depths of your psyche and from your childhood and the current events and whatever just explode in your brain and explode in your body you feel like you can't breathe like there's a sense of pending doom and you catastrophize about all of these irrational things all at once And then you feel shame and fear and wonder what in the world is going on. So I pulled over and tried to force the tears, and, and they didn't ever come. But I looked at my watch and realized the worship team was waiting for me, so I kept driving until I had to pull over again. Tried to slow down my breathing try to lie there and relax. Can still picture the parking lot that I pulled into. Tears didn't come the second time either. Made it to worship team very frazzled. I think probably it looked like I'd been crying. Um, and sort of shared with the team that morning what happened on the way to practice. And they prayed with me and listened and, and one of my, one of the Members of the team that day said, oh, yeah, I had that happen in my 20s. It happened a bunch of times when I was waiting for the bus downtown. I was like, what in the world? I'd never heard of anyone else that could relate to these these things that were happening that I didn't know what they were yet. So um, I was grateful to find some camaraderie with one of my team members. And we had practice and kind of made it through the worship uh, service. At a, in a very heightened state of anxiety. Um, I think I had a panic attack during communion while I was playing the piano. Just closed my eyes and just like, let's keep, keep going. And uh, service finished. And um, I had had some of these experiences before, but it seemed like they were ramping up. So I was pretty freaked out. Um, a lot of people think that they're having a heart attack and they go to the emergency room. I didn't have chest pain, which which is very common when people have panic attacks, but I thought I was going insane. That really, really scared me. So um, service was over, and I thought, okay, when service is over, I'll get outside and sit down and relax. That's what I need. And I did. I got outside, sat down and relaxed. I thought, I'm not in a state to drive home. And it got worse, (laughs) which scared me even more. Um, I, I uh, waited, um, and a friend waited with me, followed me home, because I thought, oh, this is getting worse. If I don't get home now, how am I ever going to get home? Uh, so a friend followed me halfway home. I pulled over, and I said, oh, I actually felt some semblance of calm. I said, I think I'm good the rest of the way. Went home. And recounted what happened um, to Heather. Who had stayed home that day because we had friends visiting and she was seeing them off. And in, in telling what happened to Heather. It ramped up again. In a big way because it was so scary I didn't know what it was. And that afternoon. And all through the night. It was like a string of panic attacks. And. Fears surfaced that were completely irrational. That were from my childhood. I was scared of hell. I was scared of death. I started compulsively reading scriptures like it would be magic. And each time that the feelings and thoughts didn't go away, it got more scary. So I made it to the morning, and I called for help. And uh, the person on the other end said, oh, yeah, um, people can seek counseling and seek medication. Which one do you want? (laughs) And I said, well, whichever I need. You know, I was very open. I was very open to help. And um, she said, oh, let's look at the appointments. And it was like six weeks out to get an appointment for counseling. So that made the decision, like, let's get some medication. (laughs) So I went in and saw the primary care person, and um, she was great. Um, And she said, oh, I'm so glad that you came in because these anxiety issues are really common. But so many people, especially men, go untreated. They don't come in for help. And I thought, how in the world can you experience what I've experienced over the last 24 hours and not... Get help, and um, she said, "Oh well, people just self-medicate they just use alcohol or drugs. They self-medicate; they're too ashamed." So, um, so I got help. I got I got medication. She said, "Let's go on meds for six months." And um, so, that I have lots of other stories to tell, which I will refrain from doing now. If you're interested, I'd be happy to <laughs> to go on um, with you at another time, but this day um, was a marker for me. It was a marker. It wasn't the first time that I had had panic attacks, but it was sort of to the degree and frequency that I, I sought help, and then I actually found out what was going on. I had some definition. And why would I share this when we're talking about peace? So this marker for me was the paradoxical beginning of my journey of peace. Through the fur- furthest thing from peace that I've ever known, it was a marker, and it was a paradox because um, finding peace is something that's always been an important driver in my life. For those of you Enneagram fans out there, I'm a nine, the <laughs> peacemaker. And, and uh, for nines, but for lots of people, you know, we try to seek peace, right? We try to seek peace, but we, we often learn to seek peace in ways that are less than helpful. And it's paradoxical because a lot of times the more we try to seek peace or make peace happen, the further away we get from it. Because we seek peace from avoiding things that are painful. Or we avoid things that are difficult, or we avoid conflict. Or maybe we don't avoid, but we cover them up with little, little addictions or little pleasures or little escapes of various kinds. And for a lot of this, this is lets us get by, and we, we achieve some semblance of um, pseudo-peace through those things. But when you have something that disrupts those little pseudo-peace patterns. For me, it was these panic attacks, but for you, it might be something else. But when that gets disrupted, it doesn't work anymore. And so all the deep fears, anxieties, thoughts that I try to keep down and at bay just, boom, just exploded in my mind and in my body. So it was a paradoxical journey for which I'm really thankful today. Because for me, um, what I've learned is, is finding God and finding God's peace does not come from looking for and going toward peace. But rather, the way it worked for me, and I think this is a pattern probably for all of us, When we look at the lack of peace, when we look at the chaos and the pain and the conflict and the strife in us, around us, instead of denying it, that's actually part of the journey toward any kind of peace that would be authentic. So I found, started to find peace in just telling the truth about the lack of peace I was experiencing. And telling the truth, I'm not feeling any peace right now uh, was an important part of the journey. Telling that truth allowed me to find community with others who resonated with my lack of peace, which eventually started to bring more authentic peace. I think in that first week or two after the, the, that one drive to work, I think I counted 20 people just in this congregation which was, I think, roughly the same size as it is now, who said they've had similar experiences. Thank you for sharing. And if I look at the years since then, especially in the advent of social media, um, when anxiety issues would pop up again, because they, for me, would would go away and then kind of pop up again. Thankfully, it's been a while since they've really been popping up. Um, But I don't want to... This isn't about me saying, oh, this is what you need to do to find peace from your anxiety. Because <laughs> everyone has their own story. But in telling the truth, that was my first step of peace. And the truth was, I'm not experiencing any peace. And then when I did that, I found community in others who were in the same place. And particularly in the holidays, right? We have this tendency to say, oh, it's peace and joy, just be happy, you know? But the name it and claim it thing doesn't, doesn't work, it hurts. And then in that community, I could see, seek help. I found so many connections and found so much help um, starting in this community that I was a part of. This was 13 years ago. Um, and I could receive help somebody. I was brand new at this, uh, this job my first time around about 13 years ago. And uh, one of our members is a counselor. Ended up calling me on the phone and said, oh, thanks for sharing. I heard that, you know, sort of normalized it for me. Recommended some authors. That she uses with her clients. I promptly went to the library and got all those books and started reading. I started getting some help. I started realizing what was going on. I started getting some tools um, to deal with it. And then I, finally, I realized God's way of bringing peace is so different than the way we seek it. See, God knows the chaos that exists. In our world, in our communities, in our families, in our own psyches, and our souls. And God comes right there. God comes right there in the midst. And doesn't bring this instantaneous peace. But God is peace. And so I realized I didn't have to, and you know, this was years of me. <laughs> reading way too much about anxiety to try to fix it, you know, doing lots of things wrong, but I, ha- I wasn't alone. And one of my particular deepest fears that surfaced in this time, I'd mentioned I was scared of hell because that, that was part of my childhood faith, unfortunately. Um, I was able to face that particular fear. And I had been a pastor then, and I remember I had preached on images of God how they're so important. And if we have images of God that need to be corrected, that we need to remember God is good. God is for us. And I realized that even though I knew that in my brain, in my guts, it it hadn't seeped down from my brain, like what I believed. It hadn't seeped down into my soul. And so I realized like, oh, I still have these childhood fears that I have. And and it gave me the opportunity to confront those and correct those. And and part of the process honestly was, I think, having... um, Those fears corrected. So, um, this is an opportunity to face into the way that God brings peace, which is peace on earth and goodwill toward all people. Thanks. Thank you, Brian. We're going to have one more story of uh, peace from Pastor Jaron Wadsworth.
2: everyone. Um, So my relationship with my dad has always been a difficult one. From the time I was born, my dad made a series of choices that made it really difficult to be in a relationship with him, and uh, so much so that when I was eight years old, my mom, my sister, and I had to leave um, him. And then from that point on, my dad was in and out of my life, um, but mostly out of my life, Um, When I was in college, my dad started getting his life back together, and I decided I wanted to try to build a relationship with him. So one summer between college, I took a job at a camp outside of LA so that during the weekends, I could go visit my dad and my stepmom. And so one weekend, I was getting ready to go see him, and I get a panicked phone call from my dad. And he says, we have to move this weekend because there's a problem with my green card, and I have to go to the Iranian embassy in New York. So I was like, okay, in one weekend, okay, we'll move you. So I go, um, well, I was thinking about how this weekend could look. um, My dad doesn't do great in stressful situations, so I imagined a lot of chaos and yelling and stress. Um, So I started praying for the weekend, because I was scared, so I started praying a lot of things, I'm sure, but the one thing I remember praying um, was that I would be, that God would be in me a sense of peace, that when I walked into the apartment, I'd be like an air freshener for peace, not spreading good smells, but (laughs) spreading peace, Um, so I remember praying that, and then the weekend came, and it was exactly as I expected, only worse, because they had not even started packing yet, so I came in, and I started packing, Um, And my dad would come in, and he would yell, and then he'd get in a fight with my stepmom, and then he'd go smoke a cigarette. And then my stepmom would be so overwhelmed with the fight that she'd go lay down. So I packed their entire apartment by myself. I stayed up late, I got up early, and I packed their whole darn apartment by myself. Um, So the weekend ended, and I was exhausted, and I was overwhelmed and very discouraged. And to add insult to injury, their car broke down, and I had to walk the two-and-a-half miles to my pickup point for my camp pickup with my duffel bag through the streets of L.A. So I was about to get ready to start walking the streets, and my stepmom said something to me, and she said, you know what? It's the strangest thing. From the minute you walked into the apartment, I just felt this sense of peace, and I just looked at her dumbfounded. (laughs) And I was like, you know, you pray, and you're like, you really hope that God answers your prayers. But then when he answers them, like, word for word, you're like, oh, my goodness. I was totally dumbfounded. But I also learned a really interesting thing about peace that weekend. I'd always thought that peace was the absence of chaos. But rather, peace was God in the chaos. It was Jesus in me that was the peace in that chaos. And it made me think of the Jesus' of Jesus's birth story, um, it was chaotic, you know. G- they were in a new town when Jesus was born, with not around his her his, her family, and then they had no room, so they got they you know gave birth in an animal stable, super gross, and then they ha- were threat of death. They had to flee in the night with a newborn or with a you know infant. And uh, that sounds really chaotic to me. But yet, we celebrate peace during this time in Advent. And it's not because there was no chaos or a lack of of hard things. It was because Jesus came into the chaos. And that's why we celebrate peace, is that Jesus is with us in the chaos. Thank you, Jaron.